Welcome to the Like Iron Research Review, a subsection of the Like Iron podcast where we pick an academic article and discuss it. If you enjoy nerding out about strength, fitness, and performance, this is the podcast for you. Remember, research is ever-changing and our views and opinions will change as well. None of the information in this show should be seen as medical advice, and you should always talk to your medical provider before starting a fitness regimen. Let's get into the cast, Like Iron. Hello and welcome to the Like Iron Research Review, uh, where we pick a paper based on some exercise science uh, strength performance topic, and we talk about it. So, I'm Shannon. I'm Wes. And today, we have yet another paper. Uh, This one is entitled... Do functional movement screen composite scores predict subsequent injury? A systematic review with meta-analysis. This uh, article is posted in the British Journal of Sports Medicine and is published or, and is authored by Robert Moran, um, Anthony Schneiders, Jesse Mason, and John Sullivan. I can pronounce all those names. Good job. Not bad. Not bad. And so, yeah, so this basically takes a look at uh, the predictive value of FMS when it comes to injury or kind of like it's a systematic review and a meta-analysis so it takes uh, all the current literature kind of into one and then does some stats on it and we're going to talk about that a little more in depth but if you don't know what the FMS screen is uh, what is it Wes? Um, So basically it is a set of seven different movements um, at least defined in this study that you do and then you get this total composite score and that one number has been said to then predict injury um or i guess the the score that you get might be associated with some sort of uh injury risk or something like that Uh, you want to add anything to that you want to talk about the specific like what movements go into the fms sure uh so from what I, I think it's a uh, deep squat, so an overhead squat, I believe. So you got like a PCP pipe above your head, doing a squat, um, a hurdle step. So you're stepping over like a raised little uh, stick, basically. Um, a lunge, a shoulder mobility test. So basically like trying to touch behind your head. Uh, active leg raise. Uh, a trunk stability push-up, so basically just push-up, seeing like how your back moves and stuff, how your trunk moves while doing a push-up, and then a rotary stability test. So basically, seeing how again your back and your trunk moves when you're doing some kind of rotation. Uh, for each of these scores, or for each of these tests, you'll get a score based on um, pre-selected criteria, like on the overhead squat. I think if it's like your heels come up, you lose a point or something like that. And so three, I don't remember the specific scoring, but basically they composite all those scores, you get an average, and that's your composite scores. Um, and basically there's a lot of, I'm not sure what FMS is claiming now. There's been, they always have a lot of claims, like it predicts injury. Uh, it'll give you stuff to work on to prevent injury. I'm not sure the exact things that they claim, but this article is just taking a look on, at the predictive value of uh, the FMS. So Wes, this paper is a meta-analysis. What is a meta-analysis? 
Yeah, so a meta-analysis is a study of studies. And so basically, um, you'll take a look at the literature at large and you'll do some sort of, you know, search test for um, anything related to functional movement screen. And then you'll pull together all the things that you find. Uh, but then what you do in most cases is you want to try to follow some sort of like gold standard um, to help make sure that the studies that you're actually looking at aren't just crap. And so usually meta-analyses um, follow something called PRISMA. So it's like preferred reporting items for systematic review and meta-analysis. Um, and then usually you have some sort of like search strategy like I was talking about where you, you know, type into some sort of um, database, a specific name set, in this case, like functional movement screen, and you pull all the studies together. But then another thing that you end up doing in a meta-analysis is basically an evaluation of bias or like what are these uh, these articles, like what's their risk for bias? And then so usually you have, you know, one, two or three of the authors go through, you know, and then uh, each kind of assess it and then pull them together and say like, did we come to the same conclusion on these? Um, and that's what you try to do uh, in terms of making sure that the studies that you're actually analyzing aren't just complete, you know, hogwash. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, but could you briefly explain bias for listeners? They might just be thinking like the author's yeah. bias. Something like that. Yeah. So bias is an interesting term. I mean, technically everyone's biased and you're never going to completely eliminate bias, but it's basically your previous conceptions, you know, your beliefs, uh, your opinions, but even, even, you know, evidence can lead to bias. Bias isn't always, I would say, a bad thing, um, but your viewpoint can be skewed, you know, by your previous experiences um, and your understanding of a topic, um, but also maybe, you know, your uh, relationship with, you know, an author or uh, your belief in a specific modality, like all these things kind of go into your overall viewpoint on a given topic. So the goal is to basically like, how can we get this kind of less subjective and more objective. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, so I think the important thing to take from that is like good research takes steps to eliminate bias. So like, so when they do a, uh, uh, like a review of or their risk of bias, they're taking a look at these criteria, criteria that usually eliminate bias as best as possible, like blinding and stuff like that, correct? Yep, yep, okay. they'll blind. Um, you know, they'll do double blind in some cases where the, the authors or the researchers and the subjects both don't know what they're getting. Um, and sometimes they'll even use bias, um, to their advantage in deception studies. And so like they'll basically inherently create a bias, um, and then test a product to see if it's a placebo response. And so they'll sometimes use it to their advantage. Um, but yeah, in most cases, the goal is to try to, you know, in, in, in general, science is not about, you know, defending your bias. It's about engaging in conversation and getting closer to the truth, um, mm -hmm. whatever the truth may be, by doing the best that you can to control for variables and have an objective lens, you know, um, and being, you know, open to, you know, different paradigms and stuff like that, if there's evidence to support them. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I think that covers that. So let's dive into the paper a little bit. Um, so 
did you want to cover methods or do you want to just jump straight to the kind of the evidence and the conclusion and results? Yeah, let me let me briefly just talk about the methods. I mean, we kind of talked about it there. Um, we'll link this paper. So if anyone really wants an in-depth um, look at how methods are done in a meta, a meta analysis and specifically this paper, we'll link it so you can go look at it. Um, but again, basically, um, roughly what they did, you know, is they had some sort of gold standard they followed, like the Prisma, a search strategy. And then something we didn't talk about was a selection criteria. And so usually with the selection criteria, you have an inclusion and an exclusion criteria. And this is kind of just looking at the evidence again. And one of the things that's really interesting in this paper that we'll talk about for a little bit is the definition of the term injury. And I know it sounds kind of funny, but a lot of people don't agree on what the defini definition of injury is. And so one thing that they did specifically in this study, which actually makes it uh, very useful, is when they were doing their search strategy and the basically data analysis, or I guess risk for bias, um, they looked at do these studies define injury similarly? Because if you look at a lot of studies and they're each defining injury differently, it becomes very hard to say like, you know, uh, to get to pull all this stuff together and say like, oh, this predicts injury. When it's like, well, you don't even know what injury is because none, none of you guys agreed on it. And so, Shannon, do you want to discuss a little bit like what what is injury? Um, maybe why it's kind of a nebulous term. Um, potentially, like, how did uh, this meta-analysis, I guess, define it, or what was the range that was acceptable for the definition of the term? I'd have to find it. Okay. We can go down um, to, I think it's page 4 to 10 on this, and there's a chart, and it's interesting. Even in this meta-analysis, they didn't give a specific definition for the term, mm -hmm. um, but they basically said, you know, that in their inclusion criteria, each of the studies had to define it similarly. But even in this chart, when we're looking at it, you see injuries like overuse, you see traumatic injuries. Um, and so you see different types of injuries. Um, you see non-contact in there, you see, you know, so there's different, I guess, mechanisms for the injury. And then they have um, some other things as well. They have NR if someone like didn't report it or there wasn't a follow-up. And so this is an interesting, I guess, just philosophical thing that we can briefly talk about is in general, when you're doing a meta-analysis, it's very important to try to get, like I say, um, good studies or studies that define their terms well um, before you analyze all of them or else it just becomes an issue. You know, we're kind of going based on the author's word here that they found studies that define injury similarly, but even in this meta-analysis, they still didn't really give a specific definition of injury. And maybe that is because that no one really can agree on it, um, which, you know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So there was a couple, uh, like, systematic reviews and meta-analysis on this analyses on the same topic. Um, right, so one found a very weak correlation or association between composite score and injury, and then the other found, I think, moderate evidence against the use of it. So basically, that it doesn't have a strong correlation at all. But they mentioned this study, and the reason they did this study is because those studies before 
didn't do what Wes is talking about. So they they didn't take into account the differing definitions of injury. So that's a confounding variable. And then they also basically pooled all these injuries or all these studies that are done on different populations, like military uh, and police versus like football versus basketball. So they pooled all of them together and treated them as the same thing. When yeah. we know that all those things have a different demand. The sports may have similar demands, but say uh, uh, military and police have equipment and there's just a totally different, uh, to totally different needs and totally different demand. So that can skew the results. Yeah. So one thing that was nice about this one, like Shannon was talking about, some other reviews um, didn't kind of take into consideration those different careers or sports. This one did. It separated them, which was nice. Um, and basically what it found was that there wasn't a strong association. It was basically like no association or weak association between um, the, I guess, the composite score and the prediction or the predictive value of the FMS um, for a specific injury um, or just injury. And then the only one that was somewhat interesting was that there was strong evidence for a weak effect. So that don't forget the, the term weak um, in terms of uh, the predictive value for FMS uh, in terms of the military and police officers. So that one's kind of interesting um, how there we saw a small effect there. Do you want to talk about any of those findings really quick, Shannon? Uh, well, I just think it's interesting that, interesting that, uh, so basically FMS is touted to give you this like score of movement competency. And I don't think they have a definition for that. And there's definitely not much evidence for movement competency or movement quality as in, in the research, right? So it's not clearly defined. It's kind of a nebulous term, but they're assuming that it's this, that this test can can test your movement competency and how it relates to sport. Um, I think most of the evidence that I've seen aside from this paper, but even in this paper is saying that it's, it's not a very strong correlation. And especially when you start bringing in the complexities of like how biomechanics and, and pain and injury aren't directly correlated, then that just kind of muddies the water even more. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think another thing that's interesting with this FMS stuff is, you know, how it's, I guess, uh, subject to change throughout a season. You know, mm -hmm. like someone's composite score um, for an individual may change um, based on, you know, even things like fatigue. Maybe they get better at the test itself. You know, maybe um, the state in which they perform the test. So, for example, maybe they come in and they're quote unquote cold, you know, and they do the test. Uh, maybe they get uh, crappier values and composite score, and that might put them at, you know, based on what the FMS people believe, like a, you know, a higher risk for injury. Mm -hmm. um, usually I think they do a good job of trying to get people warm, but that's kind of just another example. Um, another thing that's interesting uh, is that you see that in terms of composite score, you see inter and intra related reliability. And so, depending on different people who are doing the composite scores and measuring the test, like it's pretty reliable outcome in terms of composite score. But like next question to that is, does that mean anything? You know? And so I think it's interesting. I was talking to one of my buddies about this 
because he's doing a project on uh, the Y balance right now. But we got into a discussion about, you know, like reliability. And when he was reading this stuff, he saw that it was reliable. And so he thought, you know, the reliability means that it was predictive of injury, like it did its job. And that's not necessarily uh, the case. Actually, it's not the case at all. And so reliability basically means that uh, depending on the person measuring the test or doing the test, they're going to come out with similar composite scores. But again, it's like, does that actually tell you anything? And at least based on this meta-analysis and most of the things that of the sports and occupations they looked at, the answer is no, it's not a very good predictive tool for injury. Uh, it seems like things are probably more complicated than that um, and or the test just isn't a good test, you know? Yeah, well, it doesn't take into account like, well, A, it's not even saying, is it modified? Like, is, is if there's an association, is that association modifiable? Nobody's looked at that. So, yeah. like, if, if there is one, can we change it? Who knows? Um, and then it also doesn't take into account, like, individuals like people move differently so it doesn't it's trying to fit everybody into this box of fms or something that when there's a great deal of um just like anatomical variability and just variability in the way people move uh it doesn't take into account that which is one of my uh riffs on fms like i know i'm not sure if they still do this all right but a lot of people use fms and like for a squat for example and they're like okay you gotta point your toes forward and keep them pointed forward yeah if you can't reach depth or it doesn't look good with that then, then yep. okay then that's a bad score that doesn't take into account people's uh, hip morphology or just the fact that you don't need so much dorsiflexion in your life to be able to do that like okay turn your toes out extra yeah. rotate your hips a little bit you know so trying to yeah. fit everybody into a box is not usually a great thing yeah i agree i think a lot of these, you know, I guess standardized tests, whatever you want to call them, that's an issue is you don't get that individuality that we discuss frequently. It's like usually there's no quote unquote best way. You know, it's figure out a way that the individual can, you know, achieve the movement that you're trying to get them to achieve. Um, and it's really difficult to fit everyone into that, that pigeonhole, you know, of uh, the, the best box, whatever that means. Um, so yeah, so I guess takeaways, FMS, so those seven different movements that we talked about at the beginning, there's intra and interrelated reliability with composite scores. So again, um, people rating the test will come up with similar composite scores, but what does that mean? This meta-analysis basically said it's not really good for, uh, as a predictive tool for injury, like it's not. It's not really associated with it. The only one that we saw a small effect was military and officers. Um, they speculated on the paper in this a little bit about that, but it's still kind of unknown. Shannon talked about it a little bit. It could also be the fact that they're carrying, you know, a lot of load, you know, throughout their every single day, just in terms of like what they're packing. Um, but there are other things that may go into it as well. Also, things to take into consideration. Um the study uh, said they did a good job of trying to find studies that defined injury similarly. However, we still don't see like a universal definition of it. So it's, you know, a nebulous term, which makes things challenging because people might define it differently and then you're not talking about the same thing anymore. So that's always useful, I would say, in everyday life. If you're in some sort of dis- disagreement with someone, define your terms, try to get on the same page. Um, similar in literature, if you're a researcher, try to define your terms. 
um, and hopefully it's similar to the literature. That way we can actually have a discussion on it. And then should we talk about, you know, practical application of this, maybe in terms of like mobility, flexibility, because that's kind of what this one seems, you know, to be about, you know, like movement quality. Um, I would say whatever sport uh, you're partaking in or participating in or whatever the, the daily activities that you do, you're going to get better at those by doing those, you know, specificity, but also the mobility and flexibility requirements that you need are going to be specific to the tasks that you do, you know? And so if you are your power lifter, there's no need for you to be practicing the splits unless that just increases the quality of your life. You know, unless you just really want to have a cool party trick, there's no reason to, it's not uniquely beneficial. That's a you know wild example, but my point is, you know, you're going to need the requirements based on your sport or activity. You don't get a, you know, extra credit points for anything else. You know, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I agree completely. I just think uh, like movement competency is specific to the demands of your sport. And with even within that, though, there is individual variability. So you have to take that into account as well. Like if you take powerlifting, for example, not every squat's going to look the same. Somebody can't uh, have this strange amount of dorsiflexion to have a perfectly upright squat then it's going to look differently and their squat's going to look differently than somebody else's. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially if you gradually expose that person to the new position. Yep. I, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, this has been an episode of the like iron research review. If you have any questions, please hit us up. If you have uh, any papers that you want us to review, we'll take a look. Uh, you can find Wes at go. So you can email me at Wes at likeironstrong.com and then Instagram panhandle. Let me actually go look it up. I always forget it because I change it so much. I believe it's just Wes underscore uh, like iron strong. I think that is great. Oh, it's like.iron.strong underscore Wes. So that's where you can find me on Instagram. And then you can find me on Facebook. It's just, just William Wesley Goodman. I don't have any fancy uh business or Facebook name quite yet. Mm -hmm. That's where you can uh, find me. You can find me if you want to email me at williamsstrengthmovement at gmail.com. I don't have a like iron email. Um, make you one. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. and, and, or on Instagram uh, at Shannon Dubs. So S-H-A-N-O-N-D-U-B-S. Uh, Dubs is for my last name. I don't know why I made that. And then Facebook is just my name. Uh, you can also post these questions, comments down below and on YouTube. Other than that, have a great day. This has been a Like Iron Research Review. See ya. See ya.